And Father, not only that, but we want to be continually reminded of the way that you, you lead us and guide us through this life, uh, which is why we keep coming back to your word every day, every week, because we, we know we need to hear you speak. We know we need your guidance in our life. And so, Father, again, as we come to this passage this morning and the end of this series, Lord, we pray that you would continue to guide us, continue to lead us, continue to speak clearly and powerfully to us. And, and again, like we pray every week, all of these things that could hinder us from hearing what you have to say this morning, our fears and anxieties and frustrations and just our own internal busyness, Lord, calm those things, push them off to the side so that we can focus on what you have to say this morning. So, Father, we do pray that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive what you have to say to us this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, we are on the very last few verses of Habakkuk. We're wrapping up this, um, this series and we're moving into Lent and uh, Bruce mentioned he'll be preaching next week, but then for Lent, um, at when I'm preaching, we'll be going through uh, Romans chapter 8, just one chapter, but it's like, it's maybe heretical, but it's like one of the best chapters of the Bible. It's, Romans 8 is, is really good, and so we're going to spend all of Lent just kind of slowly working through that chapter and, uh, and meditating on that. So, But we're still in Habakkuk, and Habakkuk has... Lots to teach us. So we're going to look at just the last few verses of this passage. And remember, this is still connected to what, I, what we read last week. This, this idea of being reminded of God's power. And then remember Habakkuk said, okay, I remember your power. So now I will wait and I will trust you to work. Um, and then it goes into these verses. Though the fig tree does not bud, there are no grapes on the vines. Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. And then again, we're reminded that this was not just a prayer, but a song, because it was written for the director of music to be played on stringed instruments, right? It's the word of the Lord. Well, one of the things that maybe you're, you're figuring out about me is I really like to read history. I, I really love history, um, but I especially have uh, like a special place in my reading list um, for reading about uh, Christians and missionaries of the past. I, I really, pretty much for the last 15 years or more, I'm, I have one Christian biography on my currently reading shelf. I have a, I'm like reading 10 books at a time. So one of them is a Christian biography all the time because there's, there's something about reading of these faithful, bold Christians of the past that just kind of stirs your heart, doesn't it? It stirs your soul and you kind of, you walk away from reading these books with your, your faith strengthened, with kind of a new passion and a new commitment to, to just, I'm going to follow the Lord um, wherever he leads. And so it's good. It's, it's that being surrounded by the cloud of witnesses that Hebrews 12 talks about. 
So that's good, but I also have this other kind of response as I read some of these books. Um, recently I was reading about a man named Jan Hus, or you'll maybe see his name as Jan Hus, but it's pronounced Jan Hus. Um, and he was a reformer um, who was doing work of reformation about a hundred years before Martin Luther. And so he was really kind of forging the way ahead for reformation. And as I read about him, again, I felt my, my heart being stirred to stand firm. But then I watched the way that he stood firm for God's word, the way he fought for truth. But then he was tied to a stake and burned for it to death. And while he was burning, he sang hymns. And I read that and I thought, could I do that? Like, if I was him in that moment, would I be strong enough to do that? Or, or would I fail in that moment? How would I respond in that moment? Or another, another one of my favorite biographies I highly recommend is uh, about Diedrich Bonhoeffer. It's, it's really long, but get the audio book. It makes life easier. Um, but Diedrich Bonhoeffer, and I, and I read about him and his kind of fight for truth and justice in the midst of Nazi Germany, right? And then you, you watch him fight for that, but then he gets caught and he gets stuck in a concentration camp. And even in the concentration camp, he was leading little church services and, and writing books and, and just being faithful and joyful. And you think, I mean, he did that right up until he was executed in the concentration camp. And I think, would I be able to suffer like that? Would I be able to do that with peace and joy? Or, or even a, a story that you all know just from the Bible, Job. I mean, Job, the, the righteous man who lost everything, right? He lost his children. He lost his home. He lost all of his flocks. He lost his health. And yet, in the middle of all of that, he said what we sang earlier today, right? The Lord gave. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I read that, and every time I think, would I respond that way in that moment? If I lost my family, my home, my everything, would I be able to say, blessed be the name of the Lord? And, and I ask myself that because I know how I've responded in much smaller trials, right? Like, I mean, there are moments in life where I'll be in a situation, and I will not speak up and speak the truth because I'm, a, I'm worried that I'm going to anger somebody or, I'm going to, or they're going to look down on me for what I'm about to say, and so I'll keep my mouth shut. And I think, if I can't speak in that moment, how would I speak in a moment where I'm being threatened with death, right? Or, or there are moments where I have, like, completely freaked out about a situation and, like, melted into a puddle of despair because, like, my car broke down. And I think, that's a pretty minor issue, really, especially when I'm the guy who fixes it. But if I'm going to, like, fall into despair in that moment, like, how would I respond if everything was taken away from me? Right? We feel weak, and we kind of know our weakness. And then, and then we come to this week's passage, and we hear another... Like this week's passage in Habakkuk, I don't think many people know it, but I think it's one of the most beautiful portions of Scripture. Like I really like that moment where Job says, the Lord gave, the Lord take, has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. But 
But this passage has just more depth to it. It offers quite a bit more. It kind of gives us this picture of beauty in the midst of chaos. And it's kind of this interesting, as you read this passage from Habakkuk, it's written very beautifully, isn't it? It's really well, you can tell it's poetic and it's a song. And you th- and if you're just looking at it like a literary critic, you're like, this is really beautiful writing. But it's describing complete and total devastation. And he says, the, the, though the fig tree not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, the fields yield no fruit, the flock be cut off from the fold, no herd in the stalls. Like that's the picture that he sees in front of him. Like complete, utter devastation. Like if you're trying to picture this in your mind, you're picturing looking out at a landscape where all of the trees are completely dead. And, uh, you know, they didn't have evergreens in the Middle East. So, you know, they don't get the beauty of that in winter. Like, everything is dead. There's no leaves, no fruit, nothing. And, and not only that, all of the fields are completely wiped out, too. And there's no sheep on the hillside, no cattle in the stalls. Everything is gone. And, and what we sometimes need to do is we need to take ourselves and remember that they lived a lot differently than we did, right? I, it's sometimes hard for us to even imagine living in a world where you can't just run to the grocery store and pick up some food. Um, but, but these people, everything they needed for life came from the land. Everything. And so when they look out and the land is complete and to- total devastation, that means they have nothing to live for. I mean, nothing at all. There's no food in the grocery stores. There's no gas at the pump. There's nothing. There's no propane in the tank. And, I mean, because, like, when it says there's, like, the olive trees don't produce fruit, we, th- we might think, like, olive oil, that's not a big deal. Like, we just use that on our food. Well, they used it for everything. I mean, they used it to light lamps and I mean, they, olive oil was like any cent, it's like fuel for us, right? And, and it said, gone. None of it in the whole land. Empty. No, no grain in the fields. No, no grain to eat at your meal. No, no bread. Gone. No sheep on the hills. No meat. Gone. No wool for clothes. Gone. No, no, no cattle in the stalls. Again, no meat, no milk gone. I mean, everything completely gone. And that's what Habakkuk sees. He, like God gives him the vision. He sees that out on the horizon. Like This is what's coming for God's people. That as Babylon comes in to bring judgment on Israel, they have like a scorched earth policy. They're going to come in and they're going to burn the fields and kill all the flock. Just the, Babylon's coming in and wiping Everything out completely. Total scorched earth policy. And yet, he looks at all of that and says, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. I mean, that's incredible, really. And, and it's, I say this is better than what Job said, because Job says, blessed be the name of the Lord, which is powerful. I'm going to still praise God. 
but, but Habakkuk says, I'm going to do more than just praise God. I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to have joy in the midst of losing everything. I mean, it, it's incredible. And, and there is something inside of each one of us that really longs for that, to be able to, to, be able to have this response, right? We've, we've maybe seen it in, in somebody else where they've kind of lost everyone, everything and they still have this joy and we say, I want that, right? Or we, we hear Habakkuk say this and we go, I want that. But we, we question if we were ever in that situation if we could actually be able to say that. Like, if this passage was written to us today and it said, though the mortgage payment is overdue and the eviction notice is on my door, though the fridge is empty and my stomach is growling, though the power has been cut off, I have no propane or natural gas, I have no heat, though the cl- their clothes on my back are filled with holes and filthy, though my friends have all turned their back on me. And then we wonder, could I still say, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. We want, like, could I do that? Or would I just get angry and frustrated with God? Or, or would I just kind of collapse into a pool of despair? Or could I actually find joy and rejoice and praise God? Or would I be strong enough to do that? And the answer is no. And yes, I'll get to the hopeful part, but we first have to admit that you're not. It's not popular to say, but it's true that if you were going to rely on your own strength in that moment, you would be curled up in the fetal position in two seconds because you know that you can't fix it. There's nothing you can do about it because you're not strong enough. And it doesn't matter how much you want to try to convince yourself or not, you can't. And so it's important for us to just admit that at the forefront and not lie to ourselves. And I realize, you know, some people are like, well, that's not real helpful. You just, you know, just got to live a hopeless life. Like, <laughs> no, because the, the next part of the passage is what's really powerful. He says, God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. And, you know, I've mentioned this a lot lately, but it just keeps coming up in Scripture that you are not strong enough. If, if, it was, if you had to rely on your own strength, you would fail in a moment, in the blink of an eye. But God is your strength. And I mentioned that at the Thanksgiving Eve, Thanksgiving Eve service, right? His power is made perfect in our weakness, but many of us have been singing this in a song from the time we were this big, in Jesus Loves Me, we are weak, but he is strong. And then we get older and we think, no, I'm strong. And God says, nah. And so the reminder is, is as we find ourselves in this position like Habakkuk, and we look out in front of us and we see kind of a, a terrifying experience, or maybe even complete and utter desolation, and we're wondering if we're strong enough to endure it, you begin by saying, I'm not. I'm not strong enough to endure this, and I'm not strong enough to even praise God in this, but God is. And he, he will carry me through this. 
I can't get through this, but God will carry me through this. I trust him. I have faith that he will bring me through this. He will hold me in the palm of his hand and he will never let me go. That's what he has promised me. And God is strong enough to meet you in that moment and give you joy and peace and even to open your lips so that you would praise him. That's why Jan Hus was able to sing hymns while he burned at the stake. Not because he was so strong and mighty, but because God blessed him in that moment and gave him peace and opened his lips to praise him. And and it's really taught in multiple places in Scripture, but one of the kind of most famous passages from Philippians, and because it's famous, um, it's probably one of the most misunderstood and misinterpreted passages of the script of the Bible says this. So this is the Apostle Paul writing. He says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Right? And it's that last verse you see everywhere. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's like, the favorite verse of the Christian athlete or the motivational speaker. Um, And yet, it's often just kind of ripped right out of context. Um, Because you have to ask, what are the all things that Paul is talking about? What are the all things that we can do? Well, he's talking about the things he just mentioned. Being content in any and every circumstance, even if we've lost everything. And... I mean, when was the last time you heard somebody use that verse in that context? Like, man, I have lost everything. I've lost my job, my house, my family. But I'm confident I can be content in this situation. I'm confident I can find joy in this situation because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I don't think I've ever heard it. I mean, I'll be honest. I don't think I've probably said that ever in my life either. But that's what Paul's telling us we can do. No matter what circumstances in front of us, you can, ha- you can face that with contentment and joy and peace because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And that gives us this confidence and hope to just go out and, and live our life without fear. Like, we don't have to, like, we could see trials on the horizon. We could see the the enemy approaching and we don't have to live in fear of that coming because we know God's with me. He's my strength. He's my peace. He's my hope. He's my comfort. He will bring me through this. And we don't have to live in fear of it. We can just enter into it. And and I, I say that so confidently because I finally learned that this last fall when I sat in the hospital. Because I had this ridiculous amount of peace and joy and comfort. I had bad days, by the way, but overall, joy, peace, comfort, because I'm so good and strong, I'm a weenie. My wife had to warn the nurses, like, he's going to wake up and he's going to be a pain in your butt, which was true. But I had peace and contentment. Why? Because God said, I'm giving it to you. And you're not strong. Give it to you. And we can have that confidence when we have any, whatever trials coming our way, when we get into a situation where we're not strong enough to make it through, God will give us the strength to make it through. And it's, it's powerful. And it's important to remember that 
Like sometimes, who knows why God does things the way he does, but he's a lot smarter than we are. Sometimes he just gives the gift, just gives you peace, boom. And sometimes we have to wrestle for it a little bit, don't we? We have to like fight for it, and we do that through prayer. Like there are times when, when you have to come to God and say, Lord, I don't think I can go on. I don't think I can take another step. I feel weak. I'm tired. I have no joy right now. I am not content. I'm a little ticked off. I'm restless. Like, help. Strengthen me. Give me peace. Give me contentment. And then after you pray, what do you do? You get up and you go out by faith, trusting that God will give it to you in his timing. He might give it to you right away. He might make you pray two, three, four, five, six times. But eventually, it'll come. And so we we wrestle with that by faith because we know that God will give it. He always has. He always will. And so we we trust him. And we just keep wrestling until that joy comes. And then in the midst of that wrestling match with God, we we can kind of live with this what I'm calling from our past is a joyful boldness. To kind of refusing to live life by fear, but just living with a joyful boldness, which is what, which is the picture that Habakkuk is painting in this last part of the verse. The very last line of the whole song. He says, he makes my feet like the deer. He makes me tread on high places. And I'm going to change the picture a little bit um, to more of like a North American context, because I don't think... I could be wrong, but um, I don't know if they have mountain goats in the Middle East. But I know they have mountain goats here. And uh, if you've never seen a mountain goat in real life, you've probably seen them on TV. And if you haven't, go home and watch a video of some mountain goats today and say, God tells me to be like them. Because they live in the most rugged terrain of the mountains. Like no other animal lives there, hardly. Um, every single, I mean, it's just rocky, craggy cliffs, and every step they take is fraught with, like, falling to death. And they, and if you watch them, they're not, like, tiptoeing around. They're, like, frolicking on the cliff top. They're jumping with joy from this rock to this rock and just dancing around. And especially if you see a little baby mountain goat, they're just about to kill themselves all the time, but just having a good time doing it. And that's what Habakkuk says. God does that for us. To go through this life. Like, we're, we're living in a, in a messed up world with a bunch of mess around us. Sometimes it feels like every step is fraught with falling and dying or getting hurt or whatever. And he says, no, you're supposed to go through that with this joyful confidence that God's got you. And so you can just kind of leap from one trial to the next trial to the next trial confident that God's given you the strength to make that jump, that God's going to make sure your foot doesn't slip, that God's going to give you joy and peace and contentment in the midst of all of that. And you can just kind of frolic around in the midst of all of the chaos and trial with a joyful boldness because you know that God has you and he won't let you fall. And it's kind of a different way to think about living life. Can you imagine really living that way, right? We all have a long ways to go in living that way. But, But rather than living life kind of always afraid of the trial that's coming and all of the rocky cliffs in front of us, 
living with this joyful boldness, with kind of like a smirk at like, I wonder how God's going to save me this time. I wonder how God's going to get me out of this one. And you just kind of jump to the next trial. Say, here we go. And you jump in because you know that God's got you and he will not let you fall. And that's really the, the final answer to the question that we've been asking over and over and over again. Like, how do we live in the midst of this kind of messed up world? Right? We're watching things all over the place. Um, and we realize the world is a mess. How do we live in that? And the, the final answer, and it's been running through every single verse of this book, is that we live with a joyfully bold faith. A joyfully bold faith that, that reminds us that we can do all things through Christ who saves us and gives us strength. That, that we can be content and find joy and find peace in the midst of trials because God is the one who gives us strength and saves us. And this faith that can actually allow us to look at the chaos Look at the mess in front of us. Look at all the trials in front of us and kind of smirk and say, I wonder how God's going to get me out of this one. And then jump like a mountain goat to the next one and, God, and trust that God's got you. That's the joyful, bold, playful faith that God calls us to live with in a time like this. And that kind of faith will pull us through whatever trial comes our way. Let's come to our God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come uh, with a confession that we are weak. And uh, we often pretend like we're much stronger than we are. We often like to make a bigger deal out of ourselves than we truly are. So we confess that to you, Lord. We often even put ourselves in your place and think we should trust ourselves in the midst of these trials. And Lord, we confess that to you. We ask that you would forgive us for that pride that we so often show. But Father, we don't just want forgiveness. We want our lives to change, our hearts to change. And so we pray that, that your spirit would, would work in our lives and change our hearts so that we would recognize that we are weak, but, but you are strong. And that we would live each day resting and trusting in you to give us strength and peace and joy and contentment no matter what situation comes in front of us. And, and Father, we do pray that you would stir our hearts to live this kind of joyful, bold faith in the world um, like a mountain goat, kind of jumping from one trial situation to another, just completely trusting in you. So, Father, we know that we have a long way to go in there, and so we ask your forgiveness when we fail to trust you in that way, but, Father, we, we pray that you would continue to strengthen our faith each and every day to trust you more fully. Stir joy in our hearts, stir boldness in our hearts, um, but deep under all of that, Lord, strengthen our faith. We pray all of this in the name of our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen.